CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Dishing with Digest. I'm Stephanie Sloan, Editorial Director, here with Mara Levinsky, Senior Editor. Hi, everyone. Well, Mara, we are a mere few days away from the premiere of Beyond Salem Chapter 2 on Peacock. And I have to say, I'm getting pretty darn excited. So I'm really looking forward to seeing the action in all the cities that are in Salem. Uh, also to see Bo and Hope again, of course. And then just to see how the newcomers will be woven in, like Harris, who's going to be played by Steve Burton. And we have Andrew Donovan, Joey Johnson, Stephanie Johnson, and newcomer Wendy, who is Lee Shin's sister. And really, just everything. What will Harris be doing? Who's Loretta Devine playing? How will Eileen Davidson be used? I mean... Trust, there are a lot of surprises still in store for viewers despite any internet leaks. And I think it's going to be a really big treat for both longtime fans and new ones. I'm so happy that it's finally here after so many months of looking forward to it. You know, obviously, Hope and Bo are the main draw, but it's really amazing how many stars and characters they're featuring. And in the interview that you did with uh, head writer Ron Carlobati in the new issue, which previews the series, I found it so interesting to read about the creative process behind figuring out which characters to use and how certain happy accidents with the main show led to things like us seeing Lucas Adams's trip, who just left Salem recently. Oh, yes. And Ron talked about how he has a limit of how many people he can play per day. And at Sammy and Lucas's upcoming wedding, he did not have John there. They co coincidentally wrote in that he was visiting Paul, which is how our guest today, Christopher Sean, came into play. But you're so right. It's just awesome how they worked out all the details and that they had a jive with what's going on on the main show. Now, speaking of Sammy and Lucas, the bride is heading down the aisle for the 15th time, and since it's a day's wedding, you can expect some drama. Uh, we know Sammy's in the dark about the fact that Lucas kidnapped her, and there are some other people who do know, so will it come crashing down at the worst possible time for the groom? We shall see. Uh, regardless, I will say that there's some great stuff happening next week on days. I don't want to spoil it, so all I'm going to say is tune in. Well, nothing could keep me away from a Sammy Brady wedding. I know better than that. Now, I think it's fair to say that there will also be some can't-miss fireworks on GH in the coming week when Carly finds out that Nina is the new owner of the Metro Court. I have to say, I, I love the twist of Carly losing the hotel. I mean, that has probably been like the most consistent thing in Carly's life for the last 15 years, that she co-owns the Metro Court. And I feel like it will be really interesting to see her be sort of forced to reinvent herself in a new way, I mean, she's already been reinventing herself with the divorce from Sonny and the loss of Jason, but this really kind of completes the picture of her being without all of the, like, the fixtures in her life. Um, 
And we will also see Trina facing the onset of her trial. And she's going to confide in Jocelyn about the fact that she is holding back some information that could potentially be exonerating, which is that she was with Spencer at the cemetery at the time the sex tape was released. Uh, Tabiana Ali, who plays Trina, had previously told me that if it was her, she would be telling everyone that alibi, even if (laughs) Spencer was going back to jail. Her words were, I ain't going to jail. And I told her how tickled her fans were with that quote. And she told me that she still feels the same way. She still ain't going to jail. I love that about her. Yes. Um, well, we're also going to see some explosive stuff on the CBS shows. Uh, Finn is going to wake up on Bold and Beautiful and discover that Sheila is his captor. And over at Young and the Restless, uh, Billy and Chelsea are really going to start crossing paths. He is going to offer her a job. Now, on the hiring front, Dace has a new actress in Elia Cantu, who will be playing Jade, a detective. She was at the Emmys, actually, and was a fan of the show. So it was a pretty amazing night for her all the way around. Hmm. Um, and in other days' news, Heather Lindell will wrap up her visit as Jan, and Ali Sweeney will wrap as Sammy. But as I mentioned, our guest today is back. It is Christopher Sean, who will reprise the role of Paul Narita in Beyond Salem, but he has done a lot since leaving town. So let's check in and catch up. Hi, Christopher. Hey, how are you? Good. <laughs> how you doing? I'm great. I'm honestly happy, loving life. Um, I'm back on Days of Our Lives. Life can't be better. Right. Well, it has been a minute since you and I have spoken, um, and so I'm really happy to catch up with you. But for anyone who might not know everything about you, we're going to just take a little walk down Christopher Sean memory lane. So let's start with you were born into a military family and grew up in a variety of places, including Washington State, California, Mississippi, the Philippines, and your mother's native Japan. So how would you describe yourself as a kid? Um... I would say culture, culturally eclectic. I got lucky enough to be able to live kind of all over. And I found, um, you know, growing up and seeing the world really does open your eyes to just different personality types and different religions and different beliefs of how to live your life accordingly. And for me, I thought that was wonderful. And I just kind of took the best of every part that I could find and try to apply um, that to my life so that I could always be the best version of myself. See, it's interesting to me, as I've read interviews with you, that you do seem to have such a positive outlook on that experience. And a lot of actors we've, we've talked to who did grow up similarly in military families with a lot of moving, not that it was like a bad experience, but they maybe focus more on the negatives of it. Were there cons for you alongside the pros? Absolutely. I mean, there's a lot of cons and pros to anything, but it all comes down to perspective. Is the glass half full, the glass half empty? And not to you know, degrade these people or, or put any negative turn onto them. But for me, I've found every opportunity is a challenge to grow as a person. And, and I have a sister with Down syndrome, a uh, mother who is Japanese who barely spoke English. So, you know, showing up in these new areas, it was, it wasn't a lot of support. And, you know, and then it was kind of like we lived off base in, in military housing off base. So it was like, it was always those situations where you're kind of running around, you're the new kid, you get bullied quite a bit. Uh, you know, who are you? Who's your, you know, your, your sister who's mentally challenged or whatever it may be. Um, and you get into a lot of uh, uh, scuffles. But again, these are the things that happen that make you who you are. Like I could look back and say, these are all the negative things. But I, I look and I say, you know what? These made me who I am. I'm realizing there's a, there's a saying that uh, when you see someone who's fallen, the first person to help that person up is someone who's understands that pain and who's fallen themselves. For me, anytime I see someone who's hurt and I'm like, yo, it's okay, man. You get through it. You work through it. It's okay. You know? So uh, again, um, it can be challenging, 
I went to Texas and I, did, I gave a speech about how my life turned out and my sister's life turned out, you know, both the same paths and yet totally different uh, perspectives and out and outcomes. So it, it all comes down to, again, um, understanding that, that no matter what obstacle in life, it's a challenge for you to level up and get better. Mm-hmm. Well, was there one place that you lived that you felt had the most effect maybe on shaping you? I'd say Japan. Um, you know, as a kid, we'd visit my grandparents and my, my, my aunts and my cousins. And we were in Japan often And my grandfather, uh, I love him so much. He's been passed February 14, 2010. We flew to Japan in his funeral and we found his, his journal. And in his journal, he had written that, um, he was the mayor of our town of Yugawara. It's a very famous, uh, for their hot springs. Yugawara Nonsen is, uh, where, where he was. And he was the mayor of our town, our congressman in our town, three terms in a row. And he's the only person who ever done that. And so I went and actually visited where he was working and I saw three of his posters on the wall. And I was like, dude, this is so cool. And he wrote in his journal when he passed that I, of all my cousins, um, would be a giant among men and my accomplishments would supersede his. And I was always like, I've got so much work to do. He was incredible. <laughs> the whole town came during his funeral and I was like, okay, if he thinks I, I'm, I'm worth it, then I have to work hard and I have to make him proud. How incredible. Well, you were only 19 years old when you decided to make the move to Los Angeles to pursue a career in showbiz. So there had to have, of course, been falling in love with performing that came uh, before that decision. So tell us how you discovered this interest in acting and performing. Um, so I have a huge amount of respect and, and for anyone in the military. My father was in the Navy. He's a veteran. Uh, he lives out. He's retired now with my mom and my sisters in Arizona. But when my dad was uh, deployed, he was on the USS Tripoli and USS Midway. And when he would do is he would record videos of himself reading me and my sister's books when we were just kids. And you would get the mail, this big package, you know, and it's like, oh, here, here's dad. You know, he's gone for months at a time, sometimes days, sometimes months. And we get this package from my father and there's the video quarter and there's the video. And we'd watch this video of my dad reading us this little book about the bat and the animal kingdom. He's playing both sides. He's also a flying bird, but he's also a walking animal. Where does he fit in? And my dad's reading it. And he's, you know, Christopher, up, sit down. And I'm like, how did he know I was standing? Like, so I <laughs> love my dad. And I remember my mom's like, okay, now it's your guys' turn. You, you're going to send a video to dad, make him proud. I'm like, okay. So I'd always be like, I'm going to get strong like you, dad, one day. And I'm eating my chicken. And I just <laughs> saw a video of it recently. I was like, oh my God, I'm such a dweeb. <laughs> it's so cute though. Uh, yeah. And it's just like, I've always been comfortable and I wanted to follow my, my dad's steps, my footsteps or his, excuse me, his footsteps. So I found that, uh, you know, it was a dream of mine, but I was, I was so, so shy. So anytime like outside of the family, I was like the most shy. I would hide behind my dad's leg and my mom's leg. And they'd be like, seriously, stop. Like, why are you, you're crazy at home. Why aren't you like that out here? We're introducing you to people I'm like, no, no, I wouldn't even say a word, but, um, yeah, I, I think that's where my passion, I was always comfortable in front of camera at home. And I realized that it made a lot of people happy and I wanted to spread that. Mm-hmm. Well, so you let you arrive in LA, you know, what was life like for you? Like in terms of expectation versus reality? Like, how did you go about breaking into the business? What'd you do? Uh, well, okay. Uh, slightly embarrassing. I, uh, okay. I was like, oh, how do I, how do I break in the industry? I don't know. So um, I started a modeling agency. This, this, this guy was actually a big scam artist. So I got scammed. Um, 
the studio M521, this guy named Tobin. And a lot of my buddies, we we're all in the same boat. Like there's a whole bunch of us that are still friends. So we come out here and we're like trying to model. And this guy's like, you know, you have to pay $700 a month or whatever, just to model with him. Right. Um, so we tried that route falls through, doesn't work out, but I make some friends. And then I team up with a buddy of mine and we start a public relations firm. And, um, he was also, he was also out of his mind, a little, a little crazy. So another, uh, another scam artist. And I just remember thinking like, I need to get as far away from this person as possible. Um, then I started, I tried to model and I didn't have the confidence. I, I was, I'm so like you now growing up without representation, there's someone looking like me. I never thought that I was like the attractive guy. I always thought that like, I have personality. I'm cool. Like people think I'm fun. <laughs> so, um, did modeling. I never booked anything through my agency. I booked it on my own. I did a Skechers campaign. I did a Uggs runway show in Arizona, which is awesome. And then I did reality shows. I thought, well, maybe if I do some reality shows. So I did date my mom on MTV and I did exposed on MTV. And both of those shows, I was like, yeah, I'm on TV. I'm proud. I'm finally doing my dream. It's reality. You know, it's not, it's not my dream. Um, then from there, I, I, I was kind of walking around Hurricane Harbor with an ex-girlfriend at the time. And, and this gentleman approached me and was like, you should do beauty pageants. It's going to help you in your life. And I was like, you're, you're out of your mind. Like a beauty pageant, me, no way. But I thought about it. I thought about it, I thought about it. And I think at the time I was like, what else am I doing? Might as well approach, go for it. Like things happen for a reason. Let's go for it. Um, no, but the guy approached me and, uh, you know, I went out and did a few beauty pageants and I won, you know, um, Mr. Asia USA and they flew me to China or I competed in China and I did Manhunt International. I placed top 10 and went Mr. Personality and I was runner up for Mr. Friendship. And I was like, okay, cool. So I think I do have the personality. The quality that you actually <laughs> consider to be good about yourself. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, the one blessing. thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I represented USA West and I, yeah, absolutely. That for me, that I have the trophy at home and that was like, that's more important than beauty personality so i was like i'm i'm on my way i know i'm doing something right um, okay i have to interrupt to ask a two-part question number one yeah. what would mr friendship have to do to be unable to fulfill his duties such that you the runner-up would have had to take over as mr friendship <laughs> that's more of a hypothetical question but can you like tell us like what like this is such a like it's like oh i was i was mr asia usa like that's kind of a big deal and a very unique experience what was it like behind the scenes at the pageant? Like, were people nice to you? Were, was there, were people really competitive? Were they putting very, blue place in for you to talk? Like, what happened? Come on. <laughs> Honestly, it was a very competitive backstage. But, you know, rather than being catty, I was always like, hey, man, I see that you've been working out. You, you put some work, you, you lost five pounds, 10 pounds. Way to go, man. Like I was always very supportive of everyone. I mean, even though we're competing with each other, me, I was like, this is, this, I'm literally doing this. If I win, I win. If not, like, this is not my dream. And if I do win, I apologize, but I'll be very thankful. It was kind of that mentality, right? I never thought that I would win. Um, well, what did you do? What, well, what, did, what does Mr. Asia get to do? Well, when you win Mr. A's USA, you get to sit in uh, in a parade. You get to sit in a convertible. You wear a crown full of money, and uh, and you and you wave to everyone as as you as you drive down. I think it was Hollywood Boulevard over by uh, uh, yeah, it was Hollywood Boulevard 
right by uh, Virgil. You know where Virgil is, Hollywood and Virgil. Yeah. Anyway, you come down that road and man, you're just waving, and that's it. And then, and then because you do that, you get to compete in China and represent USA West or USA, excuse me. And, and yeah, that was kind of like one thing led to another, led to another. But I didn't get past the China event, but still, I got to go to China. I got to. I remember when I was in China. One of my most fun memories is as I got to the Great Wall of China. I, 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 I say, hold on guys. You know, we're kind of cruising together, me and Estonia and Germany. And, um, <laughs> they're so cool. Did you have your sashes uh, on or no? I got, I got a mental picture. No, no. I do have a sash though. You know, I have the Mr. Personality and I got these silly pics of me in tuxedos and, and a speedo, like, you know, uh, but yeah, so, uh, I tell hold on guys. And I run, run over to the wall and I close my eyes and I say, thank you, grandfather, for everything you've given me. And I put my hands on the wall. And they go, what are you doing, man? What's going on? I said, I'm going to remember this moment. I don't know if you are, but I'm going to remember <laughs> this moment. I'm making a moment here. And you know, I'm going to about- talk about it on a podcast 15 years later. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's just it. You know, you, you create moments like that in your life. And at one point, we, we, we were in China and, and uh, we were in Xinjiang. And because we're ambassadors of our countries, China, there's so many military that come to escort you kind of everywhere. And, um, I found it beautiful. This is prior to the, the China Olympics when Olympics were held in Beijing. This is prior to that. So everything was still under construction. Um, but we're, we're kind of going around. And I remember forgetting my badge to get into the event. I was like, oh, no, what do we do? And I was like, Estonia, did you forget yours too? And he's like, yeah. I was like, dude, why are we? Let's just go get it. So we sneak out past all the guards. And we get to the road. And there's two guys on these, like, scooters. And they're like, hop on. <laughs> like, sure. And as we're, we hop on, we're like, they're like, where are you going? And I'm showing them, like, in my phone. We're going to the, the world, world uh, uh, excuse me, hotel, you know. So we're just cruising around in the streets. And he's recording on his cell phone. And we're, like, going on the back of these scooters through China. And then we get to our place. Excuse me. They pick us up. We go back to the place. I, you know, throw them ten bucks, which is a lot of money for them. They're like, high five. I'm like, (laughs) such a. I'm like that memory. Amazing. We went to the Silk Market, the Grand Silk Market. I got my family silk robes from my sisters and my mom and my dad. uh, I think I got him one too, and he was like, "What is this? Come on, like wear this silk robe." And then later on, I see him in a pipe, and he's like, "Hello." Like I knew you would. Uh, no, he's so cool. Uh, but yeah, that was an amazing experience. And, and with that, basically, you compete to be able to travel to China and compete more. And then it's the prestige, I guess. Mm-hmm. But that was kind of my, my intro. It was like, if I can have these titles, maybe I can get signed. Right. And going back to that, it was I got signed by Buckwall Talent Group. Pam Fisher, Pamela Fisher. She has been my saving grace. She's still my agent today. When I first signed with her at Buckwall. I mean, I don't even know how many years ago, 2005, maybe. So 17 years, 15, I mean, a long time ago. So she, she repped me at Buckwell Talent Group and then she moved over to Abrams Artists. And now it's A3, but she's been repping me ever since. And she's literally, she was the one who negotiated my contract for Days of Our Lives. Like she's been amazing, oh, the best agent. Anyway, so that was kind of how I got into the industry. Well, um, how were you making money? How are you supporting yourself in the meantime? So you had the PR firm, but that kind of went south. So what did you do? Um, you living you know, off but, the money in your crown? Yeah, basically. <laughs> just you know, a little alms for the poor. I just turned the crown upside down, please. No, I've, I, I found myself, uh, you know, doing the whole, I went to bartending school. And um, <clears throat> I was kind of doing everything I possibly could. I was doing bartending. I was doing serving. I started bartending for a while. Um, I went homeless because the bartending place I was bartending at shut down. 
And then the person I was in a relationship with did this uh, thing called the squatter's law on me. And um, after you stay at one place for 30 days, if you have one piece of mail sent there, it becomes your legal residence. And the only way to kick them out is to have an eviction to a judge. So this person had taken advantage of my kindness and um, put me in handcuffs to get me arrested because I was moving their stuff out. I was like, I can't afford to, you to live here anymore. And they were like, I live here. And I was like, oh my gosh. So, you know, you learn these things kind of in life. You learn to, to be nice, but not to let people take advantage of you, right? So um, I worked at Chilin. It was a very high-end Chinese restaurant where I dressed very fancy suit, tie. I was a bartender. You know, you had to shake a particular way when you're, hi, how are you? How's your Yeah, <laughs> Sometimes I'll be stupid and put an accent on. They're like, who is this guy? Uh, and then on weekends, um, I would bartend across the street from the Abbey. And it's a place called Rasputin. And I'd be in a gold Speedo or I'd be in like, you know, a little tuxedo. Not a real tuxedo. I'd work at Chilin. I was in a tuxedo Speedo where I was working across the street from the Abbey. And I'm pouring up, what are you drinking? I had my little dance. There's, you know, oh, one, two, three. I didn't know how to dance, but I just did a little clap. Ah. And um, it was amazing. Where, man. where were the tips better, Christopher? This is the real question. You know what? They would be like, I'll tip you a 20 if I can reach down your pants. I'll tip you a five if it goes in your jar. And I'm like, the jar is reachable, man. You can't reach back past, you know, sorry, rules are rules. While my, my other bartender's dancing on the, on the tables. And I'm like, no, I'm not. I am not doing that. Um, but no, I, uh, I had a blast bartending. I mean, so much fun. So much fun. And that was kind of my introduction to like West Hollywood. There was like party and fun and just like these guys know how to have a good time. I, I love, love my time there. And then I, I remember booking Days of Our Lives and I was like, okay, cool. I'm playing a gay character. I'm bartending. I'll keep both jobs. I'll keep bartending in WeHo. And then I got fired. They're like, you can't stay here. You, you think you're better than everyone. And now the place is demolished. And I was like, I was like, me? But they were very, very interesting people, uh, to say the least. <sighs> well, long before Days of Our Lives, a full four years, uh, you made your daytime debut on The Bold and the Beautiful, playing a waiter. What do you remember about that experience? That's a great question. Wow. Um, good research. <laughs> You're awesome. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I did the, I was trying to break in the industry. I did not know how. Every audition that I, I ever had the opportunity of, it was like, we're looking for Asians. And I'm not your typical Asian. I'm atypical. And, and they're looking for white people. And I'm not white. I'm a mix. So I never could book any work. I, I wasn't booking anything. Um, it was like a drought for nine years, I remember. But basically, I went and started doing casting workshops. And I tell every actor, get you got a network. It's about who you know and how you know them. So build a relationship when you go. Don't just pay and do a job and then leave. Take advantage of their time. If they're kind enough to offer it to you, meet them. Get to know them because these are the people that are going to help you. They're the gatekeepers, and it's important for you to meet them. So that goes out to anyone who's listening, everyone who's listening wants to be an actor. Um, so I went, I think it was Christy Dooley was her name. And she was the casting director of Bold and the Beautiful. And she gave me my first real opportunity, my first lines on television, like real acting lines, not I choose you because your mom's hot, like none of that stuff <laughs> on MTV, you know, <laughs> whatever that was. Uh, <laughs> but Christy Dooley was amazing. She, she, she came in, it was like a, an intensive over weekend class. And I remember I worked with my buddy, John Geary's 
and Critier Bajos. They were the two standout other actors in the class that I was like, these guys are going to blow up. And Critier has, she's doing great. She was just on Barry, um, an amazing Latina actress. I'm so proud of her successes and uh, in voiceover as well. She's huge. Um, but going back to that, Chris Du is like, you're awesome. We love you. And I was like, thank you. I love you too. Give me a job, please. And she was like, we have a co-star role for you. And I got, I booked a co-star through that. And my first lines on television were my pleasure, miss. And I remember thinking, should I do it in like an Australian accent? Should I like be cool? Like, what if I wink to my mom, like to the camera, you know, like, <laughs> you know, like my pleasure, man. And I was like, Oh my God. I was like, how am I going to do this? And I chickened out on all that stuff. And I got on stage and I just remember she was like, Oh, you have new help. And I'll, and she's like, thank you for the drink. And I said, my pleasure. miss." And I kind of bowed and I walked and I was like, I didn't do any of that shit. Why am I such a wuss? And I'm like arguing with myself. You gotta be brave as an actor. <laughs> So that was my first experience uh, on television. And um, yeah, I remember like, I still have the recording on my phone. Like, I was like, this is it. This is the beginning of my dream. Well, that's great, I love though. It. Um, now, prior to days, you also auditioned for a role in General Hospital. And your words, not mine, you said that you choked during the process. So tell us that story. Yeah, I remember, well, you didn't say I choked, but you were, I remember I calling you, I was like, Stephanie, help me. And you were like, you're going to lose. You're never going to get this. You're not worth it. And I was like, Stephanie, how could you? And we were arguing for hours. No, I'm kidding. No. Um, so Mark Teschner, an amazing casting director, Frank Valentini, an amazing executive producer who worked his way from the mailroom all the way up. I know his story because a good friend of mine, Frank Nittle, he is a huge fan of Frank Valentini and tells me many of his stories. And I looked at that and I go, you know, it doesn't matter where you start. As long as you stay consistent, you work hard, you can achieve. So I get in this room with Mark Teschner and I remember auditioning and um, I think it was a role of Sonny, like a, a role of Sonny or Sonny's cousin or someone. I, I can't remember exactly, but I remember getting in there and I had the utmost confidence. I mean, I had been acting, acting classes, excuse me. I've been doing acting classes for eight years. And I remember thinking I have to practice and be ready so then when I go in there, because my acting coach used to say, if you go in there and you don't go, don't do good, they're going to put you in a black folder. Well, they'll never see you again. So I thought I only have one chance. And in my mind, I, I think that was more of a ploy to keep actors in class, you know, and keep feeding his ego. So I won't say his name, but you know, you learn these things. Like you learn, like you should just get in there, take the risk, learn through trial and error. You grow. Anyway, long story short, I get in there and I destroy the, I do so good. I do so good. And Mark Teshner looks at me and he goes, you know, where are you from? What's going on? Like, tell me a little bit about you. And I'm, I'm, I'm gleaming with excitement and joy. And I'm like, this is what it feels like to finally win. Like, I'm so happy. And I get the call back, you know, Mark's so cool. He's like, not a high five, but I feel like he wanted to, you know, and I was like, yeah, I got you. So I leave, I get the call back and they're like, you're going to producers. I'm like, cool. Awesome. This is like, I think this is my first time going to producers ever. And I get in the room and it's just Frank Valentini in the back. And uh, I was like, oh my God. Like, I thought it was gonna be a whole bunch of people. It's just one guy. That means he must be the decision maker. It's only him. Like, I'm panicking. Like, what is going on? Action. I was like, what's my first line? I'm so sorry. And then after that, I was just, just you know, I basically tumbled and rolled down a hill <laughs> the, through the whole performance. And Mark kind of was like, you got this, man. You got this. He was so supportive. 
I can remember leaving there thinking, well, I screwed up, but Mark was amazing. He was like <laughs> so supportive. And I was like, that's, that's why he's earned so many Emmys. Like he's just an amazing casting director. That was my experience. I, I, I floundered. And immediately after that, I remember thinking, I will never allow myself to do that again. And then I booked Hawaii Five O. Two months later, I met with Marnie, who's my favorite. She changed my life and gave me the opportunity to be on Days of Our Lives, my very first contract work. That's incredible. All right. So let's get into some Days of Our Lives, shall we? Uh, so uh, it was in 2014 that you booked that job, Paul Narita. Uh, now, you actually had a buddy from acting class join the show shortly before you. Is that correct? Yeah, Billy Flynn. I was in the class and then Billy joined the class. Prior to my back class, I was an Anthony Mindles. And, um, and then after I joined Lewis Smith, Billy joined and he went to Anthony Mindles. And so we were kind of doing this flip-flop and then he booked the sh show, I think. And then I booked the show, like, right? It's just kind of like this whole thing. And I was like, he's good for him, man. Good for you, him. I'm sorry. You were meant to be. Okay, so anyway. tell us your, you know, your day's casting story. Okay, um, day's casting. I came into the room and... I had just floundered with Mark Teschner. And I remember thinking, there's nothing that's going to stop me. The only way I'm going to book this role is if I do gold Olympic performances every single time. So I remember I'd be doing jump rope at the gym for maybe an hour, you know, off and on, you know, going, stopping, going, stopping. But every time I'm running my lines over and over and over and I'm doing it happy, and I'm doing it angry, I'm doing it every which possible way. So if they try and do anything, I'm doing it while I'm in tons of pain and then, you know, I'm, I can do any emotion you want. So whatever you need, I got you. And I went in there. I remember just looking at Marnie like, let's go. And she's kind of like, okay, uh, take it easy there. Uh, and we, we do the audition and she goes, I'm taking you straight to producers. And I was like, awesome. Thank you. I really appreciate that. I'm ready. And she's like, yeah, I can see that. Uh, but she, I mean, she's, uh, she's like, to me, she's just, she's an empath. She understands emotions. She feels it. She just knows. Um, at the time, I remember I got the call. She was like, well, I had to bring in the call back because I wanted to prepare you. They changed the sides. You're not going to have the same sides. You don't have to read the sides, but I just wanted to inform you. That's the reason I brought you for the callback. It's like, cool, no problem. Let's do it again. So we do it again. She's like, yes, you still got it. Let's do it. They bring me to producers. This is at the NBC the building, right? The Ken Corday's offices are. And I'm like, oh my goodness, this is exciting. I'm, I'm back at it. And I get there and I remember seeing like a large group of black people and a large group of Latin Americans and a large group of Asians. And I go, well, I'm, I'm going up against the Asian guys. And I was like, there's not a lot of multi-ethnic dudes. So I guess it's just kind of me. It was a large casting call of every ethnicity. We were all going for the same role. And I didn't know this. Um, but it wasn't going to turn me because I was so focused at this point in my life. I was like, I've been doing this way too long for, for anyone to say, like, if I, if I, if anyone were to ask me who deserves this role, I would say me, because if I didn't say anyone else's name, I'm not working hard enough. And I knew that I was working day in, day out. All I was doing was living, breathing, acting. So I was like, I need to be booking something at this point, And this is the role I want. So I get in the room, there's Greg Mang. And there's Marnie. And I was like, this is just like the other, this is it. I'm ready for it. You know? And they, they say, uh, well, Christopher, uh, we've decided to change the role. He's no longer going to be hetero. He'll be homosexual. Are you comfortable with that? And I said, absolutely. Let's do this. And I'm like, again, focused. They're like, dude, <laughs> Marnie's kind of like, hit the brakes, kid. I'm like, yes, sorry. <laughs> no, it was cool. Uh, went in, I did my job. I had a blast. And, um, 
you know, I was, I had my own, like after, after I left there, I just felt like a million dollars and they immediately called and like, do you speak Japanese? Do you, you know, tell us a little bit about your history. And I was just like, I know I have this role. I know I do. Um, and then we went and did a network test, you know, it was in, it was me. There was one, it was one of each category, one Latin American dude, one black guy and myself. And the three of us were there. I remember showing up on the day, like I said, nothing was going to stop me. I showed up, my name wasn't on the list. So security was like, you're not getting in there, kid. I don't care if you're in this thing. I was like, look, man, like I have a network test to do. Like, it's okay. And you know, obstacle after obstacle, the other actor was just staring at me, like looking me down. I was like, Hey man, good luck in there. And he just wouldn't answer me. And I was like, okay, Hey, do you man, do you, but Hey, good luck from me to you, you know, still being nice. still being respectful because he earned his placement. I'm not going to deny that you earned that good for you, but he was rude, man. He was rude. The other, the other Latin American gentleman, he was amazing. He actually came on and booked a, another like recurring role on the show. And he was so cool. And we became friends and we were just kind of hanging out. Nice cat. Don't remember his name. I apologize, but I will not say the name of the other gentleman. Um, I don't want to uh, put that out there anyway on the day, you know, uh, after getting in, after dealing with that, I'm on set and Marnie comes and she's like, I'm so sorry for all the craziness. She's like, she goes to me and she says, we really want you, you know, so just be confident in there and have a good time. And I was like, that's all I needed to hear. You know, I just needed permission. And for me, I think because I'm Japanese and my dad's military, and, you know, it's, it comes down to respect and, and having the permission. You give me permission and you tell me what you want, I'll do it for you. Hands down, whatever you need, I, I got you. And she gave me permission. And so when I got out there, I, uh, I remember seeing Freddie and I was like, there's the man of my dreams. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember seeing him and I was like, Hey man, thank you very much for taking the time to see me. I know you're very busy. And he was like, yeah, no problem. And I said, I'm, I've never kissed a, a man like on camera. So I'm like a little nervous. And he was like, you're going to be great. It's like, awesome. We do this scene the first time. And then, um, the director comes out and he goes, Okay, Christopher, here's the notes. A, B, C, D, seven, eight, nine, ten things. You got that? And I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. So basically don't change anything. No, I'm ready. And he was like, wait, what? And I'm like, no, I'm kidding. I, I got it all. <laughs> we, we, we nail it to the wall. Um, and we do the kiss. Freddie's incredible. I leave and, um, and I get the call. You're booked. You're Paul Narita on Days of Our Lives. And I was like, this is, this is, you know, this is like 10 years of hard work all finally here. It's amazing. Definitely. Now you were doing Hawaii Five-0. You had done a handful of episodes at that point. So was there any sort of feeling of like, do I want to commit to a long-term daytime contract when I'm getting primetime work? You know, the thing was, I actually only did one episode on Hawaii Five-0. Okay. I was a one and done. Okay. I was just a small guest star role. It was actually a very large guest star role. I played uh, Daniel Day Kim. I played his, his, his brother-in-law on the show. Mm -hmm. And... Um, I'm telling lame dad jokes, making people laugh. I see a dude in the corner and he's kind of tough by himself. And I walk over, I'm like, hey, man, what's up? Make him feel comfortable. After a few jokes, he's like, you're a good guy. I'm like, yeah, you are too. And he's like, I'll see you next season. I say, I'm one and done, man. But thank you so much. He says, I'm the executive producer, Brian Spicer. We'll see you next season. And I was like, wait, what? What? <laughs> I go home and I tell my dad, and he's like, that's Hollywood BS. And he's not going to call you. And I'm like, all right, cool. Book days of our lives to your contract while I'm on set at lunch with Guy Wilson. I get a call and they're like, Hawaii Five, I want you back. And I was like, are you kidding me? And I was like, but I just signed on days. And they were like, they're willing to work around your schedule. 
And I was like, are you kidding me? So I got to work, you know, typical days of our life schedule, three weeks on, one week off. And on the one week off, I got to fly to Hawaii and bring my dad or my sister and my, my sister with Downs. And she had to swim with dolphins. I, or I'd bring my, my lady, or, you know, Lene and, and the kids. Like, they got to see Hawaii. They, they lived in Arizona with their dad. I'm stepdad, the three kids. And they'd never been to the beach. So I got to bring them to Hawaii. We all held hands and walked out into the sand and walked into the water together. First time ever in the ocean. I was like, this is, I'm living a dream and I'm able to share this with so many people that I care about. Any person that walked over was like, Hey brother, I'm so sorry. Like, I know you're having food and all, but you know, we're big fans and we don't mean to interrupt. I'm like, dude, it's okay. And they're like, you're, why are you nice? You're the bad guy in Hawaii Five-O. I'm like, nah, man. I'm just, you know, and they're, they, they're like, Oh, thank goodness, man. You're, Oh my goodness. So yeah, like, you know, I just love to spread the joy. I love to spread the positivity. And um, I will never stop working hard to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. That's just incredible. So, um, all right. So you, you start at days and uh, your character began his journey as a closeted baseball star. One who did of course, eventually come out and then was in a headline grabbing love triangle, really the first of its kind in daytime alongside Freddie Smith uh, as Sonny and at the time Guy Wilson uh, as Will. Uh, so when you think back on the first part of the, that run and developing your dynamic with those guys, what stands out to you? Uh, I would say it was a whirlwind. I was learning so much and so fast. And, you know, um, Maria O'Brien, she was our onset acting coach, helping us run lines, helping us make awesome colors, colorful choices, excuse me, we call them colors on set because it's important to color a scene, right? Um, with acting, strong acting choices, bold acting choices. Me, I paint by numbers, so it was very easy. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> no, but I mean, you know, being there, working with her, uh, being there, understanding different personality types, because when you're working with Freddie, he's so cool. He's so nationalist. It's easy for him. He's been doing this years, right? Then you work with the Deidre Hall or uh, Drake Hogeston, and they're like, even they take it very serious, but they're so like chill. They're so relaxed. They're like, this is, this is our life. We respect the craft immensely. And they, and they make very strong choices. But again, like every person that you'll go hang out with like uh, guy Wilson. And it was like, I gotta go study my lines. I haven't had a chance to look at them. I'm like, dude, we're filming in like two hours. What are you, <laughs> what are you talking about? But some people can, they're just, you know, you learn from different ways. You learn, you learn for me, um, like I said, with a mom who barely spoke English and a sister with Down syndrome, um, I'm, I'm kind of like a, a paternal figure. I'm always like, what can I do to help you? Do you want to run lines? We'll run the lines. That'll help me. You know, if that helps you, it'll help me. Our performance will be dynamic. Let's do it. You want me to leave you alone? I'll go run them by myself. I'll go run them by Maria, whatever. So I learned how to work with people. I learned the ins and outs. I learned so many different tricks from each person. With Freddie, it was consistency. You know, he always showed up and he performed with Freddie every single time. He never was like, he was never short. He was always consistent. I love that about him. Well, Guy Wilson, he, he made some very interesting artistic choices and he made some Meisner, Mary Method choices sometimes. With Freddie, it was always like, I love you, I love you, and then kiss, and then, hey, good job, man, high five. You want to grab a beer? Like, let's go drink. You know, it was like simple. Like I said, consistent. Every person's different. And that's one thing I learned. So everyone has Drake stories. Tell us about working. Uh, you know, there's nothing negative I can say about this man. I absolutely love, love, love Drake. 
he, I remember he was talking to me in set and we were kind of in hair and makeup and he's just chatting, chatting, chatting. The rumors are starting to spread a little bit, you know, is Paul going to be John's son? Is Paul, Paul's going to be a black, like what? And I was like, no way. Like if this is real, like I'm a legacy, I'm like, I'm, I'm part of John Black's story. Oh my God. This, is, this would be a milestone in my life. This would be one of the most pivotal moments in my life. And yeah, I, I found out uh, rumors were true. And he comes over and he's like, Hey kid, you hear the news? And I'm like, yes, sir. Yes, I did. And he's like, come on, let's go hang out. And we sat, we chatted and we went to his dressing room and we talked for hours upon hours. And every single time we, were, we had scenes together, I'm in his dressing room. We're hanging out. I'm trying to get as early as I can to spend as much time as I can with him. And, and he just tell me all these stories of his life. And um, he became to me a father figure in my life, not only on camera, but in life. And you know, occasionally, like I was in, doing an event in New York and I took pictures. I saw like the Drake, the hotel, the Drake. I'm like, took a photo. I was like, dad, hey, look, check this out. <laughs> he's like, there you go, son. Thinking about you too. I'm like, oh, he's like the coolest, coolest guy. Like I love my dad so much. But Drake's like right there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There could be quite the dad out there. Um, okay, so uh, it was a very sad day for many of us when Paul relocated to San Francisco in 2018 upon your exit from the show. Talk us through your decision to leave the show after uh, your four-year contract was up. Um, they offered me uh, a contract to stay, which is very nice. And I thought that if I were to stay here... Um, I'd be happy, but I don't know if I would, you know, for me, I want to take the opportunity to try and get into the big screen. I want to be in theatrical releases with in billboards. I want to be in that position where I have a much larger platform and days has an amazing, an immense fan base, the most loyal fan base I've ever seen. And I love all the fans. But at the time, I'd secretly booked a lead of Star Wars Resistance. And I was like, I'm working on a Star Wars project. I'm working with Oscar Isaac in New York. Like, we're flying back and forth, working with the gentleman. I was like, holy moly, like, this is my chance to really see how far I can spread my wings and fly. So I had to tell Albert, uh, Alar at the time, who'd become an you know, executive producer, and Janet, um, I was just kind of like, sorry, Randy, Janet, Albert, I'm very sorry, but I have to leave. Like, I want to take advantage of this opportunity. And I went with, I went for it. You know, I, I left the show because I had some security with this project mm -hmm. and days had left, given me a little nest to be able to take care of my family and my kids and be able to support my, my little social structure that I had uh, long enough to where I can continue to, you know, uh, plan and prepare because basically when you leave that it's starting all over you know you're right back with the sharks like it's there's no security at all so i was i was like i've planned financially planned to be ready for this and like i said i'm an asian american in hollywood who's the lead of a star wars resistance project like i think i have a chance and that was it i i, I took the leap of faith so you mentioned Star Wars Resistance. You are actually the first Japanese-American actor to be a lead in the Star Wars universe, which is such a remarkable claim to fame. So first, tell us about getting the role. And, you know, how does your process as an actor change when your voice is really the only tool at your disposal to communicate a character? Um, there is a woman, Mary Elizabeth McGlynn, 
Mary Elizabeth McGuinn. She was the director on Star Wars Resistance, one of the directors, along with Justin Ridge and so many other amazing Brandon Allman, so many amazing talented uh, directors. But Mary steps in and she basically, uh, while I was working on the show, I had never done voiceover at all. I had one voiceover audition for Voltron. I don't know if you guys know Voltron. Like, it was like uh, the tigers that would kind of like, these, these human beings who would jump in these spaceships that are like tigers, and then they would be formed the Voltron. And you'd have a sword and you'd fight. Kind of like a Power Ranger, you know, the, but Voltron. Um, so I auditioned and I, I got to producers for DreamWorks. My very first voiceover audition. And I was like, wow, this is so cool. I think I'm going to book this. Steven Yen from The Walking Dead, he books it. The Academy Award nominated actor. He books it over me. I'm like, dude, come on. Like, that's amazing. <laughs> like, I can't believe I was even competing against this, this talent. And later on, I actually met him while I was filming Gotham Knights and he's filming Invincible. And I was like, dude, you are like a hero. Like, you're oh, good for you. He's, he's such a nice guy. He's so humble. Um, but yeah, so it's my very first audition. I get a phone call from my agent in New York, James Murray. He's like, hey, Star Wars just called for you. Or Luke's film just called for you. Uh, I'm your agent in New York. Who are you? And I was like, what do you mean, who am I? Who are you? He's like, I'm your agent in New York. Luke's film just called for you. Like, what is going on? I'm like, I don't know what's going on. Like, you tell me. And I was like, me and my lady were shopping for houses at the time. Or, you know, and, uh, and I was like, ah, this, is, this is surreal. You know, this is, this is incredible. So we have a meeting. He comes up flying to New York, flying from New York. I'm going to meet with you, have lunch. He's like one of the coolest cats, dude. He's such a great guy. Um, we have lunch and basically he's like, he's just like, I don't know how big the role is, but good luck. And I'm like, cool. I get in there. And one of my childhood best friends, Tony Diaz from fifth grade, we used to, we, when WWF was a thing, we would go in the front yard and we would wrestle. You know, um, and he was like one of my best friends. We stayed at each other's house. He's a sound engineer there at the studio. And I'm like, Tony, what are you doing here? And he's like, Seashaw, I'm like, what are you doing here? And I'm like, holy moly. And we reconnect. I get into the room and um, I think there was like nine producers. And they were like, hi, I'm Justin. Hi, I'm Brandon. And I'm Troy. I'm Athena. I'm Mandy. I'm, and the list goes on. And, and they were basically like, we don't expect you to remember that. And I was like, no, I got it. And I do the audition and they were like, very good. I get the call back. And when I walk into the room, um, you know, there they are again. Hey, Justin, Brandon, Mandy, <laughs> Athena, Troy, Josh, you know, uh, and they're like, give this man the job. Already. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I appreciate you having me and go in the room. We do the audition and my second audition, I, I, I booked the role. Uh, that was amazing. That's that story. But, but going into what you're saying, I just kind of drifted a little bit, but going back to what you're saying, I, I kind of sucked. I was really bad at it. So Mary, uh, they, they actually called my agent and they were like, would you be against taking voiceover classes? And I was like, no, please. Like I said, just teach me what you want from me. I'll do it. I got into the room and Mary was there and she was like, all right, let's just see what we can do. We started working and she was like, you don't need classes. You know, you just needed the permission. You needed the confidence. And I was like, you know me, you get me. And she was like, get in there and kick some ass. And I was like, I was like, hell yeah. So from there, it was like, came back and it was like a totally different person. Kaz, my, my character, Kazuta Ziano, he got grounded. He had foundation and I was ready. And I raised my voice. I'm like, hey, what's going on, guys? It's Kaz Kazuta Ziano here. Oh, you know, greatest Starfleet pilot, greatest uh, pilot in the galaxy. So that's how I talked. And, and uh, that was it, man. Like it just kind of blew up from there. And sadly, when the transition happened from Disney Channel and Disney XC to Disney Plus, the show was canceled. 
but um, it still lives on in my heart. And I, there's a lot of fans out there who, you know, there's always the negative, always the negative. But if you're, you've got negative, it means you're, just, you're doing something right. But those people who genuinely love the show, those people, I still keep in contact with some of the fans and they're incredible. That's so neat. Um, okay, so more recently, you have appeared in another very high profile project, the Netflix hit series, You. Tell us about working on that show. Wow. Uh, wow. You got uh, Sarah Gamble, creator of the show. You got Silver Tree, director, executive producer. You've got this strong female duality. You have a lead actor, Penn Badgley. And these three people, and so many other people that are more, more, so many other people that are involved. But um, to me, working with such intelligent writing, with such amazing dedication to, to their craft, like Penn, like watching Penn was a master's class in acting. I remember doing the Zoom call and I was just kind of like sitting there and I'm watching and I'm like, what am I, I'm doing a table read with like this amazing show, this amazing talent. And I'm, I'm like, I even forgot to say a line like at one point, cause I was like watching him. He was so talented. And they're like, Christopher too. Oh, uh, thank you, ma'am. You know, back to my bold people. They're like, <laughs> yeah. no, that's the wrong line. Uh, uh. I'm like, oh, uh. No, but it, it was incredible. Like it was really, really cool. I remember getting to set and they said, you know, you're, you're you got three episodes. Um, if they like you, I'll give you more. So I did episode one, three, and five. And then they liked me and they put me in the, the finale. And they liked me, so they bumped me up to the main cast. Main cast, And I was on the marketing material. I was like, I can't, like, this is, this, I said from the beginning, I want to be in billboards. I want to be there and I want to be able to have this platform where kids who look like me say, I'm accepted, I'm seen. Oh my God, that's me. Maybe I, I am important. Maybe I'm attractive. Maybe... I can be the hero of my story. I don't have to be the side spectacular. So that was, I never had that growing up. You know, Bruce Lee, taken from me. Brandon Lee, taken from me. Who else was my role model growing up? Arnold Schwarzenegger, Michael Jordan, you know? Right. People who didn't look like me. So I, that's, this is why I go back to, I never felt that I was attractive. I never felt that I was warranted to say that I am someone who's attractive. Um, but being hopefully trying to be a role model and being someone who, again, spreads positivity, is intelligent, is articulate, who consistently stays consistent in their life and their habits, these healthy habits, to show these people that, you know, you work hard enough, you can achieve anything. Um, but going back to the show, holy moly, Squid Game's number one. You know, season three, you on Netflix, that comes out. We knock them off the charts and we become the seventh most watched show in Netflix history in the first 30 days. It's almost half a billion views, like 654 million views. I watched right away. <laughs> did you? Did you? Uh, Victoria, phenomenal actress. I mean, that was one of the coolest moments. And I remember to, to, to even audition for that role, I'd, done, I'd, I'd just driven from Arizona to help my family and all this stuff. Getting home, I was exhausted. It was my birthday. I didn't get to like do anything. And my, my lady, Lene, she goes, isn't it amazing that on your birthday, you get to do what you love? And I go, ah, you're right. You're right. You're right. Okay. You're right. So we switch it up. Personality changes. And it's like, all right. And we book the audition and we book the show. And I didn't even know what the show was, to be honest. And my agent's like, I got my whole agency. They're like, you got it. I'm like, what are we talking about? They're like, it's just one of the biggest shows on Netflix. I was like, holy cow. So yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I know I keep going on. Every one of these stories is long-winded. I apologize, but you know, it was, it was definitely one of those things where 
you know, it comes down to, again, it's all about perception. It's all about staying focused. And then you get to work with the best of the best in the industry. Silver Tree, Sarah Gamble, Pim Badgley, Victoria. Uh, I mean, the list goes on. Mm -hmm. David Rappaport casted that and, you know, one of the best casting directors out there. Yes. If anyone listening hasn't watched it, I found what you're going to do all night streaming that. <laughs> so good. It's so good. Now, as fans know, you'll be reprising the role of Paul this coming week when Peacock drops the latest chapter of Beyond Salem. So first, how did you find out that Days was interested in having you be part of the series? And what was your reaction? To be honest, I had made a decision in my head. I will not go back to Days of Our Lives until I've been successful enough in my life where I can bring a fan following with me. Um, and I don't think that I've accomplished that, to be honest. Not yet. But I remember driving home from Arizona and I get a call from my manager, Christopher, Days of Our Lives is reaching out again. They have another offer. And I was like, I don't, I don't think I'm ready yet. I don't think I've accomplished what I've set out to do yet to be able to give them the gift that they've given me. I want to bring so much to them. I, I still do. Like, believe me, it's still a dream of mine. Like James Franco, when he was a super A-list celebrity, came and did, you know, a uh, soap opera and, and there was a huge fan following that came with it. I want to provide that. In my mind, I will do that. So he calls and he says, you know, but here's the thing. It's not Days of Our Lives. It's a spinoff show. And I was like, well, okay. I'm not breaking my vow, you know. Mm -hmm. I'm keeping my word. And, and then they're like, you're going to do a lot of action. You know, you're going to have maybe a new love interest. Maybe. You're going to have an opportunity to work with Drake. And you're going to have an opportunity to, again, uh, say hello to the fans. And I was like stop it. You're, you're selling me. Stop it. I don't want to. I was like, ah, so I look over when we're driving from Arizona. And I was like, can I have a little bit of time to think about it? And my lady was like, what do you have to lose? You know, really like everything, the game, nothing to lose. You love this character. I was like, okay, okay, okay. So you're telling me no, she's like, no, do it. I'm like, all right, fine, fine. So I called back and I was like, I'm in. He's like, well, give it the weekend. I was like, sorry, it's only been 10 minutes. <laughs> All right, let me call you back. <laughs> and that was it. You know, I came back and booked the role. <laughs> it was awesome. And I'll tell you what, it's been, it's, it's, it's so much adventure. We travel all over. I was in filming in Hong Kong. I was filming in Caracas. I was filming in Monte Carlo. I mean, these are sets, obviously. But, you know, we're filming all over the world. It's adventure and love. You're beyond Salem. <laughs> beyond, yeah, yes. I didn't get it. I didn't get it. Oh. <laughs> Dang, that's good, Stephanie. That's why, you're, that's why you make the big bucks. That's why you are you. <laughs> that is hilarious. Well, there was like a lot of excitement in the Days fan community when it was uh, confirmed that you were going to be part of the cast. Like, what does that mean to you? You know, you were, you were on for four years. It's been four years since you were last on the show. It means everything. Um, it truly means everything because, you know, being <clears throat> a military kid, you move often. There's no foundation. You're never really like, these are my lifelong friends. I don't have lifelong friends. You know, I've got people I lived in two years, five years, and then we caught back up on Facebook. Hey, Poochie, I love you. Uh, <clears throat> I mean, truthfully, it's like, you know, to, you, you, you kind of come and go and, and you never feel like you left an impact. You kind of hope you did. And then you get the role and then holy moly, it's like Eileen Davidson comes back with Christopher Sean reprising their roles. And I'm like, wait, like my name is up there. Like you guys actually care. Like, what? this is amazing. Like, thank you. And to feel that love, to feel that like, 
we missed you. It's like, did you really like, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know. And you know, like I cried a little bit and happy, happy tears. Like I was very honored and very happy. And there's so many names, so many fans. I want to be like, you know, you, you guys loved me. You guys wanted, and here it is. Now I'm, I'm back for you guys. Um, That's so awesome. yeah, it's, it, it means everything. Well, what was that like for you to step back on set after four years? I mean, I can't believe it's been four years. Yeah, honestly, coming back, I was nervous. I wasn't sure how people would, would receive me. Mm-hmm. I was kind of like, did I, did I rub anyone the wrong way? Did I do anything wrong? Did I, did I say something? Like all these insecurities started flushing through my mind. And I was like, chill out, dude. Just show up, do your job. Like, that's all you're there for. Just do your job. And then it was like, Christopher, yo, what's up? And like, Hey, what? and all of a sudden, next thing I know, I'm like, you know, I feel like, uh, one of the cool kids walk in the hall and I'm like, Hey, what's up? Yeah. Yeah. High five. <laughs> They're like, dude, you're not that cool. I'm like, but I am uh, uh. <laughs> totally like thrust in the hips. Uh, uh. <laughs> but no, it was definitely that it was, it was like came back and it was hugs. It was love. It was everyone just received me with so much. And they're like, dude, you're back. And, and because of that, I had the utmost confidence. I felt so comfortable on camera and I knew all the crew, John, Mark, Steve, what up, you know, Wayne, what up everyone. And they're like, uncle John, and I know everyone by their name. So I was just showing up on set again. It was like, it was this familial bond that was never broken. Yeah. All right. So without giving too much away, can you tease what fans can expect from Paul this time around? Um, you know, Paul was in a wheelchair when he left the show. So I always tell people, you know, he's rocking and rolling. He's living that good life. Um, in San Francisco, he's got a beautiful love interest and he's, he's doing well. Uh, and thank you for caring. But Paul's back. Paul's back and it's party time. Not only is it party time, he's going to have a, he's going to have a very colorful party where, you know, Papa's going to be there to support. And, and not only is Papa supporting, Papa is the, the life of the party. Like, <laughs> and, uh, you know, Paul's never felt more accepted in his life of who he is. He's never felt so grounded. Um, and we're going to get a little bit of backstory as to where Paul was this entire time and what he's been up to and, um, and how he's healed from, from, from his past to Sonny and Will mm-hmm. or not healed. And, uh, and then something terrible will happen. And in that moment, Paul has to make a decision, which I think is a very simple choice. Uh, but Paul has to make a decision on how he's going to help his family. Mm-hmm. Good tease there. Get, in into that. Get into the teasing business. If this acting thing doesn't work out. <laughs> oh, not that tease. Not that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Well, before we do let you go, you know, as you look back at your career, um, how would you say that landing the day's role and the years you spent there changed your life? Days of our lives, you know, some people take this as a negative. Days of our lives is a boot camp. You know, my biggest week on set was 52 pages of dialogue, 39, 19, 12, and 7. This is a whole week of dialogue, memorized, crying, screaming, going home, memorizing another seven hours to wake up, go right back to set. It was boot camp, but it was the best training an actor can ever have. It was the best, best lifestyle and introduction to the entertainment industry ever. It taught me so much. And I've never been so appreciative of a role in my life. Uh, what I can say is I've, I've grown into a man that I'm proud of and because of the show. And it's given me an opportunity to live a life where I can spread love and positivity on a larger platform 
to people who truly need it and guidance to people who truly need it. Gotten so many messages from people who are saying, I'd never seen a non-flamboyant character on television until I saw Paul, until I saw Paul's relationships with Freddie and Will, Sonny and Will, excuse me, and Chandler Massey. I have to give up to him. He's amazing. You know, amazing actor. I talked a lot about Guy, but when Chandler came in, we had a different type of chemistry. He was phenomenal. I still love him um, so much. He's amazing. But uh, yeah, and again, um, it provided so much for me um, physically. Uh, I had to stay in shape and I had to constantly be aware of, you know, that my name can be taken off that door just as quickly as it was put up. Drake Augustine. I was going to say, that's the Drake. If I've yeah, ever heard it. Right? <laughs> you know, uh, I mean, I live by, I live by these testaments of Drake, the Augustine. Yeah. Uh, uh, but I mean, you know, there's the physical, there's the mental, always be ready, always stay focused, always be kind and humble and always be prepared. Cause you're only as good as your last performance kid. The Augustine. Uh, and then the spiritual again, like, I came to, I came to peace. There was a lot of times that I was like, why, 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 why am I not getting more screen? Why am I not getting the right writing? Why am I not getting, why, why, why all this comparison to others? When I realized comparison is the theft of joy, I have to just be happy with what I have, enjoy every moment of everything that I'm getting, and then just share as much of that and be bountiful and abundant and as much as I have with others. And again, that's just kind of what I go back to. And I feel that, you know, with days of our lives, I've, I've had to grow over and over and over. And they provided that. And now after days, uh, you're going to ask about what's next after days. Do you have something to tell us what's next? After uh, so I, uh, I'm working on Gotham Knights. It's always been a dream of mine to be a superhero. And I got to play, I get to play Nightwing. Nightwing, I'm the first Asian American voice of Nightwing. He's a DC superhero. Batman and Robin, Robin grows up and becomes Nightwing, Dick Grayson. So he's one of the most beloved characters in DC history. And uh, when I worked on NCIS LA, I worked with Chris O'Donnell, who was my original Dick Grayson, who I watched him in the Batman and Robin movie. And I was like, dude, you're Nightwing, you're Dick Grayson. Like, I am also Dick Grayson. Can I have a photo? So for me, it was like a legacy photo. Like, I'm stepping into his amazing shoes. But yes, uh, I've, that will be coming out October 25th this year. And uh, I have another secret, two secret projects. One may or may not be the lead of a Netflix feature film. Woohoo! Very exciting. So we have things to look forward to seeing you yes. besides Beyond Salem. Yes. Well, we're so happy you will be back for Beyond Salem, which will air next week, uh, one episode a day. Um, yeah. And thank you so much for all your time and your stories. You're so inspirational, Kristen. Absolutely. And clearly just, you know, so deserving of, of your success and, and congratulations. <laughs> thank you for your time. I appreciate it, man. It's, it's wonderful to talk to such supportive people. You guys are amazing. Thanks. Well, we hope to have a reason to talk to you soon, which clearly we will. Um, have a great day, and thanks for your time today, Christopher. Take care. You guys be safe. Good night. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you to Christopher Sean for being our guest. If you like this podcast, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to pick up a new issue on sale now and come back next week for another podcast. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. 
Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.